हेलो एवरीबॉडी माय नेम इज डॉक्टर जोगिन देसाई आई एम द फाउंडर एंड सीईओ ऑफ आइस्टम एक मिनट रुक जाओ रेडी होने दो चलो ये कर लेते हैं दिस कुड बी अ ग्रेट इंट्रो ओके हियर्स एन एक्सरसाइज दैट यू शुड डू बिफोर दिस एपिसोड स्टार्ट्स क्लोज योर आईज एंड इमेजिन दैट द वर्ल्ड इज नथिंग मोर देन व्हाट यू हियर थ्रू योर इयर्स एंड फील थ्रू योर सेंसेस This is the everyday reality for the vision impaired and this is exactly what our guest Dr. Jogin Desai is out to solve. Dr. Desai reached the pinnacle of success as the CEO of a global clinical testing company which is when the desire to make an impact led him to start iStem. As you may have guessed from the name, iStem uses stem cell technology to create cures for untreatable eye diseases. and they are aiming to make this available at a cost that is up to 20 times cheaper than the cost of treatments currently available in the market just as the last decade was the decade of indian software product companies to shine in the global market this is the decade of indian biotechnology companies and there's nobody better than dr desai to talk about this listen on to his conversation with akshay about disrupting traditional eye diseases treatment protocols so i flew over from the us for an interview here 2001 nobody would come back to india those were the days when nobody would come back to india especially when you had a, I had a really nice job and he convinced me that this is the place to be i became the head of the cardiac safety business for quintiles and that we, we it was in the uk at that time and we transitioned it to bombay so i in 2001 i relocated back to bombay and then after that one thing led to another one 2001 to 7 i made that we made that business quite successful and by 2007 there was another opportunity where i could be the ceo of a joint venture between quintiles and thermo fisher this was in north carolina so again packed our bags and 2007 we went back to north carolina that was a global business it had offices two offices in the us one in uk one in switzerland and one in bangalore so it was a fairly large business um, and a different kind of challenge because different cultures and so on the same space like clinical research same space uh, a little bit different in terms of the service that you provide but it's the same space uh, I, so i have same- one one quick question before isn't my understanding of clinical research as an outsider is this that mm-hmm. when you have a drug first you do animal testing and then you do yes. human testing and That's then i am assuming human testing is what would be clinical research one audience would get a placebo and the other audience yeah. would get yeah. a drug and then yes. you would see the efficacy and if there are any side That's effects correct. and yes. so uh, isn't this uh, a business which needs on ground presence like you said that you shifted it to bombay the cardiac division yeah so the cardiac safety the way it works is you would send ecg devices you know, to sites all over the world and there would be a way to transmit that ecg to the bombay lab you know, from all over the world so it was uh, about 7 800 sites all over the world used to yeah, so so the the business was essentially like receiving that information and crunching it and making reports out of it and proving or disproving that the drug has a cardiotoxic effect or not at an aggregate level and at an aggregate level this is quite a it's a very exact science just to give you a sense even right now if your drug is increasing your one of the intervals which is known as the qt interval by about 6 milliseconds then it is supposed to be unsafe and if you look at if you look at the ecg the smallest square on the ecg is 40 milliseconds so now you can see that yeah it's it's a fairly exact science the science and how to do it and we were we were fairly successful in that sense went to uh, the so this other, essentially this whole business is like information processing business it's not like you have to actually get the testing done there there would be no. other partners who this would do the testing yeah, yeah there would be people on the ground all over the world who would do who would transmit that information to you we would employ a team of doctors including cardiologists who would crunch it and send it back uh, so that was the process right in 2007 i we ha- i had a, a randomization business so that's the one that you're referring to so you create a statistical algorithm and you build it tools actually uh, to to and those tools are deployed all across the world where where people will use that to understand whether they should give a, a drug or a placebo to that particular patient and it has to be randomized and all that stuff take care of things like uh, gender age and other factors should be equal in both groups uh, yes, so yes. that's why you need a software 
Mm-hmm. Yes, it has a it, it needs a software and it gets very complicated, especially big pharma. We used to have a flow chart, I remember, of one trial which ran into 27 pages, just the flow chart of how the decision tree would happen. So it gets very complicated at that point in time. And it's also very important in terms of making sure that if this randomization goes into the uh, leaks, for example, then it can create a you essentially invalidate the entire trial. Once it is leaked, uh, so you we used to have a call center in Allentown in Pennsylvania, and I still remember uh, that people uh, as uh, we didn't we had a few incidents, not many, where uh, because Wall Street analysts could see which one which is in phase three, right? So the drug is just getting approved. We would get calls from people posing as investigators to try to break the code. Uh, because if you break the code, they can understand whether it is good or bad and then bet on the stock. So it was a fairly risky, but very, very serious business. And we made it very well. It was the largest standalone randomization company in the world at that point in time. And right now it's all, it's known as Senduit, C-E-N-D-U-I-T. Uh, and we're very proud of the work that we did there. And that that went on. In, in 2011, I came back to India on personal note family, parents started aging and so on and so forth. And I'm the only child, even for my uh, wife also, her parents were also starting to age. So we came back in 2011. In fifth, So now the story comes to ISTEM after some time, because in 2015, no, maybe 14, I had gone for a fairly routine, one of those ophthalmology checks, I said, mm-hmm. that, and I had gone. In 11 to, to uh, 14, 15, you were still the CEO of uh, yeah, yeah, okay. it's still the CEO. Right? In 14, I went to see Dr. Bhattu on a completely unrelated thing. Uh, I don't even remember what it was right now. Uh, but it was a routine ophthalmological examination. And then she started talking about, uh, you know, how, uh, you know, she sees patients who are very poor, can't afford a simple glass and all that sort of stuff. And I thought, you know what, we've got to do something if we're fortunate people and so on and so on. So we decided that we will set up a not-for-profit for patients with retinal dystrophies because these are patients who have nowhere else to go. And these are patients generally who are fairly young. You have people who... Uh, and the stories were absolutely heartbreaking. In in the same family, there are like four kids who are blind and, and you know, that sort of thing. And, and then when you talk about as lower socioeconomic strata it was just incredibly bad because uh, I still remember that story that one lady came and she's and Ratni asked where are the, where are the boys he says they are at home and she's like how do they manage he said well I've put food there and I've locked it from outside and I've come because that's the only way I can come there's nobody else around uh, horrible stories but what is retinal dystrophy so anything that is uh, degeneration of the retina, retina is the light sensing layer of the eye which allows us to see, right? Anything degenerates that creates what is known as retinal dystrophies. If you look at cornea, if you look at the front of the eye, there are several diseases, but they are generally treatable. But retinal dystrophies are untreatable globally. There's nothing you can do. Uh, Right, so you, it doesn't matter whether you are in US or Switzerland or India, your fate is exactly the same. Uh, and so we said we have to get low vision treat aids and so on and so forth. There are several ways to make things easier for people, especially kids who are in school. So we said we'll, we'll do that, we'll help consult these people for free, and it's a good setup. Essentially, you can just manage the condition, you can't cure it. Matter. Yeah, it's, a hang, it's like a sword hanging over your head, you don't know when it's going to fall. To be quite blind, right? Uh, uh, and typically, by the second or third decade of life, these kids are legally blind. So you essentially the condition essentially there's a tunnel that that forms, and finally that tunnel sort of extinguishes. Oh, okay, okay. And what what causes retinal dystrophy? Like typically genetic genetic abnormalities, and these genetic abnormalities are passed through families. So wherever there is intermarriage in within families, these things are much much more than all the others. Right, um, because the same gene and plus lack of uh, adequate counseling. Because if you have the first kid with retinal dystrophy, the possibility that you have the second one with also the same would be higher. So you would have to take that into account when you are having more kids and all that sort of stuff. So while that was going on, there was a company in the US which was going to take a gene therapy for a very specific retinal dystrophy to market. So I started studying that. Mm. Then I went 
again completely unrelated to to instem which is the institute for stem cell and regenerative medicine we had gone for a completely different reason uh, along with my friend suresh ramu and, and we met professor s ramswami who is to be the dean of instem at that point and and we started talking and he said you know what if you want a business idea there is nothing better than a business in this because there is a huge need uh, and every single gene therapy that is going to come out is going to be priced at 400000 dollars and above uh, right so for two or It'll two eyes for the us market hmm. not even the us i don't know, know who can afford this kind of thing the novartis therapy for spinal muscular atrophy is priced at 16 crores it makes no sense right so he said this is a fantastic business model if you if you're interested i'll start linking you up with people who are in this kind of space so he said sure i send you it i was reaching the end of the point where we had done a lot in send you it and i was itching to do something new so we then so again two three weeks passed and he called me in the morning and said hey can you come here in the afternoon and i said sure it's fairly far i am on i'm in the south side of bangalore and instem is on the north it's about 24 kilometers which in bangalore terms is a lot yeah yeah 2 3 uh, hours <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah. sure. i'll go and dr mahendra rao from the nih who was visiting and he said to meet him and uh, mahendra had set up the stem cell nih is the, the the uk national, uh, no it's the it's the us national institute of health in washington uh, and he had set up set up the stem cell regenerative medicine center so i said come and meet him and see what he says and i met him and slowly his plan started to form uh, for for a business i reached out to a couple of other Indi- similarly placed indians in the us everybody said count me in i don't need any money i want to help it was just a massive outpouring support of support and that's how we started istem rajni was the became who was the original person with whom we started so there is a center for eye genetics and research which we have already started where she sees patients for retinal dystrophies and then she became the chief medical officer for um, iste we also had dr dhruv sareen so we again this is complete all happenstance stuff that happens so i saw on linkedin that there is an article by a professor uh, by a, a, a young professor associate professor or something i don't know uh, his title uh, uh, in cedar sinai in los angeles and it, it he he was working with some animal models to and i had sent him on linkedin saying hey nice to catch up uh, whenever you here let me know and he said guess what i'm in chandigarh next week so i'll be happy to come by yeah uh, so he came by and we spent one entire day talking out how i stem would work and that's how we started the company i think 2015 we incorporated but 2016 is when we really started going uh, But, but what did you what was the product and i'm using this traditional startup lingo product so the, what was the there was okay. no product it's actually slightly embarrassing to say but if we didn't know if if and i'm glad we didn't know what we were doing wrong otherwise we would never have started because there was no product what we said is we will turn a stem cell into a retinal tissue and they will know how to do it that's all how to inject how to do it what condition we said we don't know yet uh, but but there was some research telling you that stem cell can be converted yeah. to retinal tissue absolutely absolutely and and we had so then dr rao mahendra introduced me to roger shi who is our chief scientist now he was at manipal institute the school of regenerative medicine so i met him and said listen we've started this company do you, do you want we don't know whether we have right now the proof of concept to create proper investment into this company what i want to do is give you a grant of i think 20 lakh rupees or something at the school of regenerative medicine and if you can do this conversion of point a to point b about 10 11 months later i said okay i i can do it and here's how i've done it 2000 february 2017 is when we said okay guys we've got to go and 2007 february 2017 is Sorry, like uh, that here's how is probably a big part of your story yeah, you know yeah. I, i want to know that here's how <laughs> i don't want to let it go in two words <laughs> what happens is let me tell you a little bit about stem cells now you can create stem cells from a swab in your from your buccal cheek you don't need um cord blood and all that sort of stuff you can correct it from anybody uh, right and there are these yamanaka factors which can essentially regress your any part of the cell into a stem cell and from that stem cell you can generate any cell whether it is heart lung liver eye whatever mm-hmm. uh, so now, stem cell is like a 
programmable cell in a way like yes, it's, it's like a raw form you can program it into whatever you want exactly. to okay exactly. okay and uh, now that's the point whether it can become the retina or it can become the lung or the heart is the secret sauce that scientists bring in which is you have to provide it a biological nudges for it to go from uh, point a to point b and point b to point c and point a to point d and all the way to f and those biological nudges are very finely characterized including the concentrations right down to the picomolars and i mean uh, that sort of thing right these biological nudges are like proteins or something like some yeah, yeah, these are all factor growth factors and stuff like yes yeah essentially it follows the bi- uh, a, a evolutionary biology there is nothing it's not there's not a lot to innovate in terms of the human body so you just have to make sure that it you just need i'm making it sound very simple i'm sure it's much more complicated with for rajashi is that you have to provide it the very specific nudges that it would expect if it were part of the embryo for example and how does it go from embryo is also ultimately one cell and how does that one cell go and become everything right so you just have to cut out all the parts where it can become a lung uh, and make sure that it only goes towards this one road that you want it to go and that's the secret sauce which people like rajashi have spent 15 20 years of their life uh, studying and perfecting um, so is it is this like a biomass there's a i'm assuming like there'll be some test tube with something in it yes. like is that uh, what? okay so finally it creates a cell suspension so what so we have two cells one is known as the retinal pigment epithelium uh, and the other is known as photoreceptors photoreceptors are the light sensing cells of the retina rpe is the foundation on which the photoreceptor sits so if your foundation goes the building collapses that sort of thing so then when we could create these then we started saying we are going to target two diseases first of all we said we will only target incurable diseases we will not do something that somebody else has done in the us and do it here it makes no sense uh, anything that is incurable globally we will target uh, we targeted two things one is dry age related macular degeneration uh, and, and what is that is, like that is essentially so uh, it is a disease it is the largest cause of blindness for people over 50 the other end when people start losing their eyesight it in terms of symptoms it is the almost the exact opposite of the other one wherein you start losing sight at the center first and the center sort of expands and and there's no cure and massive problem and even today whenever our articles come people call us from all over even outside india saying I, my mother is there here are my reports i want to come and meet you and all of it's a massive problem there are about 4 1.5 to 4 crore people suffering from dry md in india total about 17 crore people in the world who who suffer from it and there is no 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 cure for it globally hmm. this uh, is regular wear and tear due to age yeah multifactorial some genetic some wear and tear some environment so on and so forth <laughs> right and and this is where the rpe layer goes the retinal pigment epithelium so to answer your earlier question what we would do is grow the rpe layer in the lab it's very easy to identify because it pigments it becomes black so if, as soon as it becomes black you have got your rpe and then you create test tubes in one test tube and you would have 5 million cells in one test tube each test tube can treat 20 patients so there's a lot of scalability that can happen which can helpfully lead to eventual affordability right that's the plan that we have so we had one disease which is our macular dry amd and the other which is retinitis pigmentosa it is a disease where we talked about the kids and it's the exact opposite in terms of age groups uh, kids about 5 7 years of age start exhibiting those symptoms it is completely it is purely genetic and by the time they are in third decade of life they've lost it And that is where you've got photoreceptor cells, which is the light sensing cells. So we grew both of them, and we said we will start with dry AMD because it had a larger patient population, and it had some proof of concept which was a little bit more advanced than the photoreceptors. So we started with dry AMD, and we are looking at getting our human trials started by end of this year for for dry AMD. so the god is how did you like productify this so you built a system to 
create those cells in a test tube Th- then yes. what happens from test tube to patient being able to see again that journey so what happens is you would freeze these cells in about minus 180 degrees so that it doesn't go back you would transfer that test so let me tell you <clears throat> what we did so there is an animal study so i come from drug development I, and i know this very well product development in in for drugs from bench to bedside as we call it we create this drug so we wanted to make sure that anything that we do is globally incurable but any data that we generate has to be globally acceptable also so it can't be something that is just in india and all of that somebody else doesn't accept it and all that nonsense uh, so we reached out saying for dry md which is the best center for research for animal research and that happened to be in portland uh in uh, oregon health and science university we reached out to them again through our network of scientific advisors and they said we'll love to do your study so we sent that frozen vial a few of them to portland they have a special genet- gene genetically edited mouse rat model which which where where that layer starts going away so what they did is they put our cells in the subretinal space of the rat which without any intervention would lose sight uh, and they proved they got us a very glowing report actually and they said this seems to be one of the better drugs on the, which have the potential to change lives and they compared us with some fairly large companies so as a, in a sense what they proved that the rat which had our product did not lose the eyesight and in some cases even there was some reversal of vision loss within the rat so that so that was the productification of it because then you can figure out how to what is the appropriate dose how do you sell how do you uh, store it how do you how many wires do you create and so on and so forth mm. um, how do the cells get inserted into the eye is that like a surgical uh, procedure or is it like it's an, this? it's an injection it's an injection okay. it's a very it's a very uh, you know complicated injection so it's a subretinal injection in the front of the eye it's easy to inject in the back of the eye it's harder to inject uh, so so it is a subretinal injection is done only by trained surgeons and also trained retina surgeons at that so the idea would be to similarly inject this into patients at a very high level we're just re- we're replacing the layer that you lost that, that's what we do and, and hoping that it will stick and and there is some data worldwide which says that it can stick in fact there is some data from a company that formed in israel and now in the us which formed i think 6 7 years before us and they have injected into patient and proven that a patient can see 15 letters more on the visual chart and that effect has gone on for at least 12 months uh, they are still following the patient so there's some fairly encouraging data uh, that's coming through so from that portland glowing report then like what next in that journey so then we said okay now we need to really invest so we had old quintiles group all old all, all the very senior drug development executives who i had worked with for 15 years and i tapped them and said listen this is what we want to do i think we funded it in about 48 hours to be quite honest uh, everybody said okay because we've been working together for a long time so there was a lot of trust factor uh, saying if i'm uh, and the only thing is are you make, are you make doing this full time uh, if you're doing this full time i'll be happy to so we funded it very fast how much did you raise in that angel round no we were very clear. so i personally put money but we ultimately raised 3 and a half crores if i remember it correctly i didn't want to raise and have money sitting in the bank even that we we spent a lot of it took a lot of time spending that as well so we said we'll start with 3 and a half and if needed we'll go more there wasn't a lot of perfect planning at that point in time we were just looking so then we said now this has gotten serious so now then the next thing we did is we reached out to a cro in boston for a meeting with the fda because what happens in these things is you get to a submission and the fdss do these two things and those two things are 2 million dollars and 2 years at that point in time right so we wanted to make sure that we don't have that kind of a position mm. so, so what, a, what is a cro you said you you went uh, to a cro uh, yeah. it's a contract research organization like a like a quintiles like a quintiles so it was a cro based in boston headed by a former quintiles person so we reached out and tapped our network networks and said can you help us with this so we had a very extensive pre ind what they they call a pre ind meeting the fda has a name where you 
all the data in front of them and you say here is my roadmap and please critique it and provide me formal minutes of the meeting of our, your decision right so it becomes very clear uh, there's no ambiguity left at that point in time and what is the ind in pre ind stands for investigational new drug Uh, uh, and pre-IND is a pre-IND is a meeting before you are going to submit for the IND, uh, so that there is no ambiguity by the time you get to IND. Basically, uh, IND is submitted after you've done clinical research, so pre-IND no, is before. No, no, IND is submitted when you want to dose your first human. Before you dose your first human, you have to submit your IND. Uh, and before we get to a point where it does, we better get a pre-IND done so that there is no ambiguity on what is the data that is required for us to dose the first human. That's all. Uh, right. So we got that pre-IND done. That was in January of 2020. I think two months before <clears throat> COVID started. Thankfully, we got that done, and, and it provided us a very good roadmap on on how to do those things. Next, we reached out here because we needed a partner here. So we reached out to LV Prasad Eye Hospital, who were superb in their response, and they were very supportive because you know they see these patients. So, uh, and LV Prasad sees these patients every day. They have the same philosophy as ours, saying that we have to create the scale that is needed to help patients. So they reached out and said, "We'll be happy to do your clinical trials. In fact, we have a manufacturing site as well. If you want to manufacture your product here." So that's how the partnership with LV Prasad started. It's been a very fruitful one for us, and they've gone out of their way to help us, and that's been fantastic for us. Over the last two years, we have perfected the what we call the GMP protocol. So there is a protocol to make sure that it's more consistent now that it has to go into humans, right? So we've started that process now, and now we have. There are two things that are going on right now for our RPE product. One is what we call tumorigenicity studies. because the biggest risk that any stem cell has is uncontrolled proliferation so you've got to make sure that it is very finely tuned so that all the stem cells are gone and that what is left is just the eye tissue and you put it in immune suppressed mice and see if there is a very again a very specific type of mouse that is available which is completely immune suppressed it has no immune reaction whatsoever uh, so so if you put it in there and then there is no tumor then you are a, very uh, fairly uh, confident that it will not cause tumors anywhere right so that has been that is ongoing right now and then there is another study which is called a toxicology study before you submit to the dcgi for formal approval so that will happen so we are hoping that by november we will dose our first patient for our dry md product so that's the plan that first patient dosing will depend on fda approval or you will get approval in india from uh, no we'll get the... approval in india we'll we'll start with india because yeah we don't need fda approval we want to make sure that tomorrow if we want to pivot to the fda we have all the documentation that is necessary yeah. but we don't really want to i mean there is a huge problem in india there is a huge market in india we just want to make sure if a partner comes and says i want to take it to the fda Uh, I don't want to tell them. Okay, you know what? Now you have to do everything over again. So that was the reason why we wanted the FDA to be very involved on day one. So, so let's see. Okay. How is the manufacturing done? The, the LV Hospital offered you manufacturing. How is this manufactured? No, no. So, so it it grows in dishes, and in the dish, and you have to put those biological nudges one by one in that dish for it to become a cell. And there is. Very good. Uh, is it like uh, automated? Those nudges? Is it like an no. assembly line process, or they're like human beings no. who will? There is complete and total human control. This is not something that so far the world has been able to automate, because there's too much variability. See, the cell. If you talk to my scientists, they will talk about a cell like it is a human being, right? So this is behaving differently than this vial and all that sort of stuff. So it's like a human being. All everything is different. So you got to be very specific in how you respond, and every situation will have. there are certain general rules but there are there is certain uniqueness in every situation that will that will crop up and you need to have the experience to have addressed those situations in before so that you can address it down so it's a complicated process yeah, yeah. so uh, essentially it's a lot of craftsmanship which is needed to yes. really produce it it is. it is it is a lot of craftsmanship without a doubt uh, and we're one among five or six people companies in the world who are taking this therapy to the clinic as of now 
as it you have these tie ups in place no, no, no. Uh, for no, no. Okay. i'm saying there are five or six different companies who are trying for the same indication in the same way that we are doing across the world uh, there is nobody who has a who has a product that is approved as of now in the world like once the uh, approval comes from dgci uh, then you will start doing human testing in a similar way yes. like right. randomized and uh, uh, well no you can't randomize here because you can't give a placebo <laughs> because you have to have an injection it cannot be placebo so we will have to do a regular trial without you cannot have a healthy volunteer here you have to have a diseased patient so we would start with that and and then hopefully uh, provide the efficacy and safety data that is needed for us to take it to the next level and get it to market so what what is the number of like people who need to go through this before you can have so, enough efficacy data mm-hmm. first you go through what is known as the phase 2 study uh, where you will have probably around 50 patients total for the efficacy data and safety data and then you would have to do a larger study with maybe 150 patients to 150 to 200 patients at best uh, since these are unmet needs and the dcgi does fast track these things without say 2000 patients so there is a certain amount of fast tracking that is possible in these things but these patients don't pay this is because no, is, no, you are uh, this is your cost of clinical yeah, research yeah yeah patients can't pay otherwise yeah no got it got it okay and then how will it get commercialized once you have got the efficacy data and then you get the dgci approval then like so we're looking what, at what one will be the go to market so we'll talk we're looking at one of two ways one is to take it to market ourselves and we and that's where we're right now talking to several partners to raise the next rounds of funding and so on and so forth uh, but the other thing is licensing it to a, a partner who can then take it to market because there are several companies whether in india or abroad once you get human data there is a lot of interest that comes in for these kind of things so licensing it would not be a i would hope that it would not be a problem but we have to see so uh, something like this uh, how is it uh, how does the distribution of it work because you need a cold chain and you need the, the administering is not say a medicine where the patient just pops a pill and no, no. all of yeah, that you need trained people to administer and so how does that work like for something yeah. so specialized like this yeah so you would have a, you would have, first of all you would have to have a cold chain if there is no cold chain you don't have a product um because the cells can't survive in in regular temperatures beyond a certain point of and so that is actually not terrible because a lot of these hospitals will have the infrastructure to keep this cold and we have sent cells from here to portland so we are fairly confident that we can sell cells from here to anywhere because that took about 5 days so in india from point a to point b you can get the cells in 5 days it's not a problem storing is also not a problem most of these hospitals will have liquid nit- liquid nitrogen canisters who can do it surgical expertise there uh, we will have this can only be done by a retina surgeon a trained retina surgeon so we would provide that entire process one by one and we would create create a training module on how to do it where to inject is also very important in terms of uh, getting because you have to inject near the edge of the lesion because that's where most of the cells are some of the cells have not died if you inject directly in the lesion a lot of these cells have died so you're not going to get an impact so all of that will create a part of a training video training materials brochures all of that sort of stuff we'll have to update before it that in fact in the first 2 to 3 years we would keep it very controlled uh, and we would not want to get everybody to do it we would want a small group of hospitals to be selected and say you do it based and once you master it you we pass it to the next one yeah you would therefore not really need a partner to for your go to market right because you want to just work with a few select hospitals and you want to make sure that they are well trained and so yeah, on yeah. no when i say partner to go to market i'm saying in, in, when you talk about those kind of investments of manufacturing investments you've got to create your own manufacturing setups and all of that there are lots of people who have fairly large manufacturing setups those kind of things otherwise see unfortunately for patients the market is massive <laughs> and you this is not one thing where you will need to convince people to take it. it in fact we will have to be very careful that we don't give it to somebody who can't get benefited from it so it will be the reverse for us 
because if somebody is legally blind then the benefit would be marginal and and as long as understand it's fine but we just have to be very careful okay so manufacturing of course is like super expensive here because it's like a craftsman craftsman led well, kind of it's, a... it is super expensive but on the other hand we one test tube can hold 20 patients uh, cells right so you just need 100000 cells Uh, so it's not a so it's expensive but once you create a large enough stock it's okay it's possible because i want to go back to the purpose of why we created istem which is scalability and relative affordability if we create a next another drug that is 100000 then there is no point in the company we've got to get it to a point where it is relatively affordable i don't know what that price point would be right now but it would it would certainly have to be significant orders of magnitude less than what is available outside so uh, l- like the price to the patient would have like multiple component there would be of course one is just pure cost of the product the, those cells but then also there would be a cost of getting that to the doctor there would be a cost of you you would have to incur a cost of educating doctors and training doctors there would be a cost of uh, the doctor's time yeah yeah the cost of surgery the and if, if there is a distributor in the middle then the distributor's margin and all of well, that well distributors no because you i can't i i won't send this to a distributor Be, not for any other reason but it has to be maintained in a very tight cold chain uh, and i re- we really don't want to mess up that so i won't have a distributor in the middle but you're right it it's not just the cost of goods it's got to be a lot of top of that so we want to make sure that it is within the relative affordability for india uh, we've got so let's see it's going to be interesting but it will certainly be say 90% cheaper than what is available outside okay so so like can you break down these costs to me what would be the cost of goods here pure cost of goods oh, without no. <laughs> okay uh, so uh, i think it's too, a little bit early for us to specifically talk about that what i can it depends say is on scale that, also if you are manufacturing exactly. at scale then the cost comes down quite a bit no it can the ambition is to get it down to uh, uh, okay so let me give you a comparator right we uh, if you have cancer uh, you would typically spend 7 8 lakh rupees fairly easily in this country but if you want to do bone marrow transplant is about 25 lakhs so this is regular cost from you know regular hospitals now i'm not talking about super so our initial thought is it has to go below 10 lakhs that's for 100% sure but we want to get it to under 2 lakhs uh, right uh, with, with the scale that we want and if you compare that that would be 140th of what is being presented outside and we've struggled a lot with this right because we have a center for eye genetics and research that is seeing patients who can't afford things and we've we for example if anything is about 10000 rupees there is a certain section of people who will not be able to then whether it is 50000 or 5 lakhs is no relevance because they can't pay 10000 rupees so for them i would want to create a separate philanthropic channel which has nothing to do with the company where we subsidize those people the only thing is the only very specific thing is whether you come in through the subsidized channel or the regular channel your treatment will be the same it can't be different just because you came in through the subsidized channel so we're thinking through all of these things as we go along okay so what do you think you would need to those milestones you would need to achieve to get its cost to say between the 2 to 10 lakh range no the under 10 we are fairly certain that we can do it based on what we've seen so far the from 10 to 2 the journey will depend on the manufacturing scale that we can create for ourselves so for example we do this in a small 16 35 mm uh, dish if we can grow it in a flask and if we can figure out how to break that then all of a sudden my scale has jumped like 16 fold uh, uh, right for the same thing if you can grow it in a 100 which is 3 3 into 3 so nine times uh, my scale has so all those things we will do and we're hoping that we'll get there we're hoping that that's more than hope we know there is a path there we just haven't tried it yet so we can't be confident about doing it mm. that's all so the constraint is essentially just uh, supply side like building manufacturing capability demand side there is no there's unlimited demand if you build it you will be able to sell as much yeah. as you can build 
unfortunately that's true it's the supply side the manufacturing capability that you need to focus on and how would you go about the demand side you would organize a conference and educate yeah. doctors and yeah. so like- we will be at all these conferences where we are we are generally at a lot of these conferences national as well as international where we talk about our product we will go through the top 10 hospitals so all of these are lv prasad sankara arvind all of these people our chief medical officer knows them quite well all of them uh, so we would go and yeah pitch and and say here's the model here's how you would do it here's how the, you would be trained and here's the f- whole whole the uh, yeah the way it's going to work yeah hmm. so. and from this top 10 to the next 100 like how would that happen then would it be no, as no. manual intensive like going no. and pitching you and training but and- we will have to create some it tools at that point in time online videos and so on and so forth to help people understand exactly what to do and how to do we will also have to do several case studies because no two patients are alike we will have to create a, a decision tree for a person for a doctor who is looking at a patient we would have to create a decision tree for them saying yes this is fine or no it's not and if it is fine here is a category under which this is fine and if this category here is how you would inject So it would have to be a IT tools that you would have to create at that point in time. Okay, 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 right. So essentially, and, you you would need that patient's information fed into that, and then the system can algorithmically recommend yes, no, and if yes, then how? Yes, exactly. And they would have to, and and they would have to to create take photographs of where they injected, and upload them and back to us. Well, uh, that's the only way you can keep keep track. of these things See, the point being we have to be very very particular about quality because otherwise this has a lot of potential to misuse right you've got somebody who's losing sight they'll say do whatever you want sir be very careful and that even if that means reaching out to some less hospitals in the initial years that's okay not a problem they'll just reach like, out to trusted uh, uh, an unscrupulous hospital or doctor could just sell this as a way to the patient or uh. doesn't matter doesn't matter no? even if you're legally blind they'll say try it and we have seen as in in our center for eye genetics we see people who have been, been injected with all sorts of stuff from and people come in and say i have my house i have sold because i had to get have this one injection and they come from jaipur and jabalpur and all, all sorts of places in india they come from and that and so we are very sensitive to that because we've seen the patients and it's absolutely heartbreaking to tell that person that what you've sold your house for potentially basically nothing because it's not going to change your eyesight completely heartbreaking but so we're very sensitive to that what you're building is it a pharma company yeah yeah this it's is a, a bio- pharma company it's a biotech okay. innovative pharma company from grounds up which creates research which is among the first in the world so will be one of maximum five people worldwide by the time we get to the clinic okay yeah. okay okay so yeah. as an organization then what what would be the next products in the roadmap and like i mean so to build a pharma company products. means you need then a portfolio and so the next product as i said is photoreceptors for retinitis pigmentosa which which we already have those we want to make sure that we focus on the first product get it out and then focus on the next one but the idea would be to create a virtuous cycle of r&d which can then create more and more products because the stem cell can create any cell you want you can create any cell one so that is our second product for retinitis pigmentosa and the third product is actually a lung product in a weird way because Roger Shi who is our scientist had a lot of lung experience actually when I, what when covid happened he said i can create the alveolar cell in in my and you can give it to somebody to test and so on so we so those products can be used for things like so we haven't decided the disease indication for the third product but we have this, we have grown the lung alveolar cells in the lab very routinely and very well actually so we're looking at either pulmonary fibrosis or something like cystic fibrosis and that thinking will evolve as we go along so what do you mean by virtuous cycle of r&d what is the no, cycle because, here because once you have 
perfected the art of sending a cell from A to B to C to D. The same design principles are available for it to go to A to E to F to G to H. Right? So it's the same philosophy, the same artistry, the same understanding of evolutionary biology that is needed. And you have the same cell lines, you have reagents that, that you're... So that is what I'm talking about, the research cycle. So that research cycle to go from a point, from a concept to productizing. For the first product, took us three years. But the next product, it'll take one year. And one year thereafter. And that's the point. Mm, okay. So like a simplified analogy here would be like, once you've learned how to build an Android app, then you can build an app for iPhone also and that's so on. And, yes, yes. And, yeah. and there is an unlimited target here. There is, I think about two months ago, we had news that somebody had cured diabetes, diabetes with pancreatic cells. There was a company in the US. So there's a lot of stuff that can be done. A lot of stuff that can be done. This what kind of uh, funds do you need now to get uh, your to achieve the current go-to market for uh, the dry AMC? Okay, so we for dry AMD we've got the funds right now to get us through first in human trials. Hmm. Uh, so we are fairly comfortably placed, uh, frankly. That, right that now. three and a half crore which you raised is that? Enough? No, no. After that, after that we raised more money. We raised, I think, we raised close to four million total including a, a lot of it from current investors. And then two more people joined. One is NDA Partners and the other is Kotak. Uh, both of them are very, very seasoned health tech investors. So we raised a reasonable amount of money, not four, maybe tad over three, uh, uh, something like that. Sorry, I'm just going to put this back in. Uh, so we're, and we do not want to get into the valuation game. We do not want to get into this upsell of what we do and all that nonsense. So we will take funds when we need it right now. We have current shareholders who are saying, if the first-in man data is fine, then you know, you will have people lining up. But we are looking at about $10 million right now to raise to get the first product to a path where it is mature as a product and get it out there. Okay. And what is the revenue potential of the dry AMD treatment product? Okay. So there are two types of AMD. One is wet AMD, where you can actually give some injections and try and delay the loss. And, and surgeons do it all the time. Wet AMD, the current market of all these drugs that treat wet AMD is $8.9 billion. Dry AMD is incurable. And in terms of incidence, it is nine times that of wet AMD. So there's a lot of market. It's like a $100 billion market then, Massive. globally. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And typically, once you get your first in human data, you would get pharma companies who would give you milestone-based deals, which will be significantly large. What so, kind of deals? Like, like to, so recently, to buy it from you or to invest to in buy you? That, but, yeah, well, what they do is, so I'll tell you, there is a company which is, again, I talked to you about that Israeli company. They finished, they, their first-in-man data is ongoing, but they have some yeah, good... What is this term, first-in-man? Like First-in-man is first time the product has been put in man. So clinical okay, trial. Okay, okay, got it. So fairly good data, and they it's encouraging data. Let's just put it that way. And they got a deal with Genentech, which is Roche, for six hundred and seventy million dollars for that one product. As uh, in the IP, they sold the IP basically. Yeah, they sold the product and saying now this is yours, and it is a milestone-based payment, uh, but it is a fairly large, and it's just for one product. And then you're talking about the ability to create lots more products like that. Theoretically, over the next 10 years, we could create at least six, seven more products like that. So then you can see the potential of the company and the value, potential value it can bring to patients as well as investors at the same time. But do you want to go that route of being an IP no. lab where you no, no. create products and uh, sell the IP? No. no. So this is not IP per se. It's actually the full product you're selling. So there's no, the only thing that you're letting go is the testing on the human later. Uh, but otherwise you're, you're creating the full product and you're transferring the know-how of creating that full product to that person. <clears throat> we would do it as long as we know that the investor, that the pharma company that is working with us, we have reasonable indication that they are also in the same boat as we are in terms of impacting patients. So it's going to be a tough call. 
and we'll take that call when we get to it. Mm-hmm. You don't want to do it for profit maximization, but you will do it if it reaches more patients. Uh, like, like if that deal helps you reach more patients, only then would it make 100%. sense. One hundred percent, and it reaches patients at a price point which are which where patients can afford it. Then it makes sense. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah. We don't want to create another hundred thousand dollar drug. Zero point in that. Zero point in that. So, so it's going to be interesting. Tell me about how you are building iStem as an organization. What kind of headcount do you have? What kind of people do you hire and you need to hire going forward? And how will you achieve that in terms of organization building? So we've got about 10 people in the entire company. Pretty much all of them are scientists who, who do this nudging from cell point A to point B for all cells. We have now started, and of course, Rajni is there who is the doctor and I help manage the that thing we are now creating there are as we get into manufacturing there are some specialized manufacturing capabilities which include process documentation etc etc which is a different skill and we are going to get that skill in-house as we go along quality assurance quality control all that sort of stuff we are starting to work with some consulting agencies who are doing that for us but we will have to insource that as we as things move forward and on the doctor side we will have to start talking to lots of doctors around India, especially people at LVP, doctors at LVPSR, to understand ahead of time what they would need for us to deliver a product to them. So that one by one, each piece of the organization is being built, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what are the various pieces? One is the manufacturing piece. Yeah. So, uh, then... so the core is the scientist piece, which where the protocol development happens to get the trying point A to point B. Uh, that's the, so that's the core. Around it builds the medical piece, which Rajni uh, uh, is handling. So how to, what is the syringe that you would use to uh, inject? Uh, will it, uh, will the cell diameter be bigger than the syringe? In which case, by the time it goes into the human, it's already dead. So all that sort of stuff is Rajni is handling. Uh, for animal toxicities and everything, we, are, we outsource. So we have a lab in Portland. We work with Dabur Research in Delhi for our animal studies. So we outsource all of that. And we're making sure there is a very lean organization that remains. I think so. And, and the only thing that we have to insource in the next six months is quality control. Not, uh, not that we don't have it right now, but, but we have since we have 10 people, there is a lot of overlap of functions. And that needs to be delineated a little bit more. No, but in terms of building a pharma company, uh, assuming that you don't sell the product, but you do it yourself. Then you would need your typical sales and marketing to, uh, on top. You would need your IT support infrastructure on top. You would need your collaterals and publications. You would need your science team to go towards conferences and all of that sort of stuff. I am not right now thinking that far ahead because I think it's we have we still have some time to go. This was the Spotlight, presented by The Podium. To listen to more such interesting conversations, log on to thepodium.in.